After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we will be joined here in a little bit by Wake Forest right-hander, Rhett Louder, an All-American, who was joining us on our latest edition of the Clubhouse Conversation Series that we're running throughout the offseason. That's where Joe and I bring on a guest from around the college baseball world, uh, and they, they break down a little bit about 22, talk a little bit about 2023. And so we are, we're looking forward to getting into Wake Forest today and, and doing that uh, with the help of, uh, of Rhett Louder. Uh, it is, uh, it's the latest in, in the series. Like I said, you can find all of the previous ones, including Virginia Tech's John Sheff, Arkansas's Dave Van Horn, and Texas A&M's Jim Schlossnagel. Uh, wherever you're finding this podcast, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, all the all the old episodes are there, and if you hit that follow or subscribe button, you can get all future episodes as well. So uh, make sure you're you're subscribed, and uh, we'll keep doing this uh, throughout the off season here. And Joe, it's uh, it's been fun so far. Uh, it's uh, it's it's kept us rolling here in August through uh, <laughs> through lighter times in, in the college baseball calendar, and, and we record here uh, at the end of on the last day of August, going into Labor Day weekend. So hopefully everyone uh, can take this one with them wherever they're going for Labor Day weekend. That's right. We, we roll into Labor Day weekend, which means, uh, you know, college football getting started in earnest. There was a little week zero. I watched a little week zero action and happy Scott Frost Day to all those who celebrate. Um, watched a little week zero last weekend, uh, week one coming up. Um you know, so excited about that. Like there, there's definitely not a chill in the air here in, in North Carolina yet, but that is, I'm sure coming at some point, but I, the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the farmer's market vegetables are changing like this time of year, you're getting a little more, a little more gourd at the farmer's market, a little less, uh, fresh fruit and tomatoes, things like that. So, and some of us are getting, um, knee surgery. It's just like a rebirth as we go into a new, <laughs> a new season. So, so it's the classic uh, fall thing to do. That's right. A little maintenance as we go into fall. Yeah. I'm, uh, undergoing a, um, meniscectomy. I, it's hard a word to say, uh, a little, little knee scope as they say in, in the, the shorthand, um, the little, I have a meniscus tear and as Teddy can attest, I don't think I mentioned it while I was I don't know. Maybe I did. Cause I was just like in such a, I was kind of grouchy when we were in Omaha. Cause like I was, I was really fighting it in Omaha and it's like limping around. And, um, I think I aggravated a torn meniscus in Omaha. There was one time I bent over my knee popped. It hurt more like yada, yada, yada. But long story short, I, uh, been kind of like nursing a torn meniscus for most of this past year. And, uh, finally getting around, finally got some, some actual imaging done on it. And they were like, yeah, you're hurt. So going under the knife, not really the knife. I, they're, uh, arthroscopic. So it's like a little, like a little, just like a, like a one little tiny hole in my knee. They're going in with a camera and a little snipping tool and they're just gonna, they're going to snip away at my meniscus. So, um, should be a quick recovery time. I, I will be back to being the explosive athlete that everyone knows me to be, uh, before, before long, the recovery time should be pretty short on it, but, uh, you know, again, a little, a little maintenance as we go into a, to a new season, trying to get healthy for the, uh, the actual season in the spring. That, uh, that, that is, that is what's important. That's why we do these surgeries in the off season. Um, for the podcast listener, uh, we'll, uh, Joe's going to play, we're, we're going to play with the schedule a little bit, or Joe and I are going to play with our recording schedule. You will still get an episode next week if, if that's what you're concerned about. And frankly, if that's what you're concerned about, maybe, uh, Maybe reevaluate your yeah. Priorities. Check your priorities. Jeez, like, <laughs> give me some well wishes on my knee surgery before you're worried about just not everything's about you. Uh, That's so a callback yeah. to an offline conversation Teddy and I had. Not everything is about you, listener. It's true. 
a very recent offline conversation. <laughs> um, if you uh, if you are watching a little football this weekend, uh, by the time well, by the time that the games start, I'll have the annual list of uh, the top baseball players playing college football this fall. Still, uh, still working on the list, but um, you know some uh, some good players. Definitely, you know. It's not Kyler Murray out there. Like we, we don't have a uh, a first round baseball pick who could get you know into Heisman contention if he plays well. Uh, but there there's some uh, there's some football players out there to uh, to keep keep an eye on if you're if you're into that this year. And um, you know among them, I, I would I'd point out John Rice Plumley who transferred from Ole Miss to UCF, uh, where he was named the starting quarterback uh, for. Uh, for the Knights, uh, you've got Blake Shapin, who I don't think ever actually played baseball for Baylor. I think that football took has taken up his entire time there, but was a, a pretty decent prospect uh, coming out of high school. Uh, we'll see if uh, if Mizzou gets Sam Horn on the field anytime soon. He was a, nearly a top 100 draft prospect out of high school this year. Uh, I, he's going to be a backup. To, to start the year at the very least for Mizzou at quarterback, but that's uh, that's another one to, uh, to to keep an eye on. And I'll uh, I'll be interested to see how some of these other guys are used. Um, starting, I guess, with Will Taylor, who we didn't see much of in Clemson in baseball last year because he was injured playing football, uh, but he he looked like an explosive, exciting player. Uh, what from what we did see of him last year, so hopefully he's uh, he's back to to full go and. Uh, what what Birdie Brecht looked like? We we saw Birdie Brecht throw a hundred miles an hour for Iowa uh, this spring. Now what's uh, what's that going to look like at him out on the football field? So uh, some some intriguing things to follow if you're uh, if you're already following the football. A uh, quick update on Blake Shapin. Uh, it appears he was on the 2021 baseball roster. Uh, his first so his first fall there at uh, Baylor. Uh, I do, I'm I'm going back to 2022 right now. The other thing is that on his Twitter bio, his so his profile photo is him in a football uniform, or it's football-related. He's throwing a football. looks like a seven-on-seven seven kind of thing. And But his, um, what do they call the photo at the, the top of your Twitter? the um, Your header photo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is him, like, in a Baylor baseball uniform. So, like, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think we're going to see Blake Shapin on the field for Baylor baseball, but, you know, clearly he still considers himself... Uh, you know, part of that group. And yeah, he was not on the 2022 roster. So um, that seems to kind of be the way things go these days. You know, you get these two-way players to campus and it kind of, you know, you'll, you'll see them show up on rosters and, you know, the best laid plans, yada, yada, yada. And then like the reality of the situation hits and it, you know, it doesn't quite work out the way that certainly in, in a lot of cases, the players were hoping to, to be two-way guys. And the realities of it are just such that it's, it's hard to do. <laughs> There's a reason it's not normal. Right. So um but it, it does appear that Blake Shapin still still sees himself that way, and so just. Uh, but now his uh, being the starting quarterback at Baylor's is prob- prob- probably going to be pretty time intensive. I would have to imagine. There was some game last fall. It might have been the Big Twelve Championship game that he like went crazy in the first half, and I was like, "Well, that's that's going to be the end of Blake Shapin's baseball hopes." Like if uh, if he's out there doing that, he like completed like everything but one pass or something something silly, and uh, I was like people were going crazy because it was like, Oh, like Blake Shapin's breaking out. Like, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm over here realizing that Blake Shapin's baseball career is, is probably probably getting put on ice right about now. I mean, it's, it's easy to say, we, we have this conversation about this time every year, but it's like, it's easy to kind of dream on these two way players. And there's like a lot of um, wish casting among fans on stuff like, well, if we can, especially in baseball because of the limited scholarships, well, if we can, get him on a football scholarship and we can just have him come over. And he's basically like free quote unquote for the, for the baseball team. And um, you know, first of all, there's <laughs> power dynamics suggest that that's just a hard thing to pull off. Um, but also I think it's easy to underestimate just how I, I joked about it being time intensive for Blake Shapin to be the Baylor quarterback, but there is some truth in that. I mean, it, if anybody who was around for when Jameis Winston was doing both sports, I mean, they were moving heaven and earth to allow him to just close games. Not even like he was a weekend starter, like they were moving heaven and earth and and granted Jameis wanted to do it. And that was a big motivation behind it. Like he was 
pushing that. But, you know, they kind of famously were like giving him special travel dispensation to be able to do both sports. And so that gives you an eye into like, if you actually want to do this on a high level, um, it's really, really hard to do just from a time commitment standpoint. I think Kyler Murray got flown in like some booster flew Kyler like in his private plane. Um, I think it was after their spring game so that he could play baseball against TCU uh, one weekend, or maybe it was even just like Oklahoma had football practice and like he, he needed to be there for that, but they wanted him to be there for the baseball too. So like they found someone who could fly him from Norman to Fort Worth to play baseball. Like it was like, you, you do have to be on some level prepared to do that kind of thing if you're going to be like that high impact on in both, both areas. Um, you know, sometimes the football team, that's especially true for quarterbacks. Like sometimes the football team just lets you out of the spring. Like, as I recall, Cole Komet at Notre Dame, just like basically didn't do much football in the spring. And that was fine. Like he's a tight end, like he could get his work in some other time, but if we're talking about quarterbacks and that's what Blake Shapin is, uh, that's, uh, that becomes much harder to uh, to pull off. Uh, speaking of, of quarterbacks, though, also interested about Jay Wolfolk at, at UVA. He was a freshman All-American on the mound for uh, for the Hoos. And, uh, you know, still not the starting quarterback, uh, but I, I will be interested to see if he uh, if he gets in the mix uh, on the gridiron this, this year as well. Yeah, I mean, that's an example of like, he's kind of the exception that proves the rule a little bit where, you know, he didn't, he didn't play for the baseball team at all. Cause I, I at Virginia this season, he had a really good relief outing and I asked Brian O'Connor about him and to, it was becoming clear that he was going to be a big part of their bullpen plans. And he was like, yeah, we, you know, he, Brian O'Connor said, I knew he could handle it and he could be an instant contributor in the situation. But like from the outside, it was easy to not view it that way because he was at the football team all fall. He did not throw a single pitch in the fall for the baseball team. And there's a lot of guys for, for whom that's just not going to work. You know, uh, they're not going to be ready come February to, to be a big part of things if they've not picked up a baseball. And I'm sure in his personal life, Jay Wolfel could pick up a baseball, but you know what I mean? So he, he is kind of the exception that proves the rule that it's just a really like you're, you're going to be making sacrifices all throughout. And, both football and college baseball, frankly, obviously football more than baseball because it is the behemoth that it is. But both of those sports are asking so much of the athletes, even in the off season that like, it's just, it's just something that you have to really, really want to do. And also you have to be really, really good at both. Um, and also, you know, it's, it's kind of a unique situation that Jay Wolfolk isn't the starting quarterback and he's a very real prospect on the, on the mound. And yet he still wants to do the football stuff too. So, I mean, that just goes to how much you have to want it and how unique it is that we still have players in that position because like, let's be honest, it would be real easy for Jay Wolfolk to look around and be like, okay, well, I'm not the starting quarterback here. Like I've got a future on the mound. Like, let's just, let's just do that. And yet he, you know, he kind of, he persists, but it, again, it kind of proves just, just how difficult this thing is. Indeed. So uh, like just said, week zero, I kind of started the college football season last week, but th this week is is the real start, um, not the I, like there weren't even any, any good games. Like I I don't I don't really understand week zero, but whatever, not my sport. Um, you, you didn't enjoy Nebraska Northwestern. I, was, I thought that was pretty good. It was uh, like it I think it wound up being a good game, I guess, but like it's hardly a matchup that like should be headlining a weekend. You know, like I, I, it, it was. I, I was unable to get excited about the idea of watching Nebraska play Northwestern. Yeah, no, I'm kind of with you. Like, so I enjoyed that game quite a bit. And like, you have to really, I think to truly enjoy that game on, on the highest of levels, you have to be bought in on just the, the narrative as much as I hate to use that word, like the narrative of Scott Frost at Nebraska and all that entails. And I, I'm intrigued by that. So like, that's part of it there, but just from a football standpoint, like I think it turned out to be, because Northwestern's offense looked competent and this isn't a football podcast, so we won't break down whether that's a Northwestern thing or a Nebraska problem, but it ended up being, I think a better actual game in terms of the gameplay than, than I anticipated. But yeah, I'm, I kind of was pseudo excited to watch a couple of the games later, just kind of talking myself into them. And by the end of the night, I was like, yeah, this, I, none of these were good. You know, even the games that were on paper, like even matches, you know, just were not, 
not all that intriguing. And you know, the answer of why week zero is television. I mean, let's be, let's be real. Well, but if it's um, television, put a real game on. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I think I wonder if, so I'm not, again, this, we're also, this is not a media podcast, but I, but I also just wonder if like a little to, to some extent, like if you're putting things on CBS sports network, they're just never going to do big numbers anyway, but you could probably put whatever slop on Fox. And it turned out to be an intriguing game because people are just like intrigued by Nebraska and that whole story and whatnot. And it's actual big 10 conference game in Ireland, no less. But like, I do think there is something to the fact that like you could just put some whatever slop on Fox or ABC or ESPN on week zero. And like, I think it's going to do a pretty decent number. Like it's not going to do. So, I mean, Nebraska did have 4 million people watch it. And part of that is because it was Nebraska. So good job on Fox. But then what was ESPN doing? Like why, why can't they answer with a game of their own? Yeah. Uh, Like a, a, a marquee game of their own. Yeah, and I don't know what the current rules. This is where we really start to get over our skis because I don't know what the current rules are about week zero because there used to be, so week zero started probably about 10 years ago and it was always things that were getting, this is the second time I've used this phrase, special dispensation to do so because it was the original Ireland game like about 10 years ago was like, well, we have to fly to Dublin. Can we do it week zero? So we get a week off in between. And then it was like, well, Hawaii gets to play a 13th game. And every team that that plays at Hawaii. Correct. And then that makes their schedule kind of congested. So let's do that on week zero and get a special waiver to do that. Cause I remember watching Colorado play Hawaii one time on week zero when it was the only game in the evening. And I don't know what the current rules are about it, but I do still wonder if there is like, a, you have to have at least plausible deniability for why you're, for why you're doing week zero. I, I don't know, but I'd be interested to, to find that out. Cause I do wonder if that's somewhat limiting there, or I do think there is a, I won't say inevitable. I, I think there is a, relatively significant chance at some point that the college football season just creeps forward to the point where we actually start doing week zero just becomes de facto week one in a lot of ways. Well, we'll let our friends in the college football media figure that one out for now. Uh, everyone is still trying to figure out a way to push the base. Well, I shouldn't say everyone for now, college baseball discussion remains about pushing the season back. We don't have to worry about bringing it forward. There's no week zero in baseball. And for that, I am, yeah, I, I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, we we need all the preview time we can possibly get. Um, and speaking of previews, we're going to uh, get into a little bit of 2023 talk here in a minute about Wake Forest with Rhett Louder. Uh, Wake Forest is one of the more intriguing teams when you look towards next season. They are ranked number nine in our never too early top 25. Uh and they're just a fascinating team. They bring back an incredible amount of talent. Uh, they had a you know a good season this year, and they're poised to, if they can just take that next step forward, a lot of these guys, uh, to have an incredible season. It, it has the potential to be one of the best seasons in Wake Forest history. Um, you know, maybe not the best. They do have a national championship, but this is a team that can make an incredible amount of noise. And that's a, it's a program that, you know, hasn't played at that level since 2017, really, when they went to Super Regionals and hosted Regionals. Uh, so a, a fascinating time uh, to look at Wake Forest. And that's what we're going to do here uh, with Rhett Louder, uh, our latest guest on the Clubhouse Conversation Series. And we're going to do that here in a second. But first, check this out. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're very excited to be joined by Wake Forest right-hander Rhett Lauder. Lauder was a first-team All-American last year, the ACC Pitcher of the Year, and Wake Forest made their return to the NCAA tournament. So a very exciting 2022 season, Rhett, and uh, we're, we're happy to, uh, to have you here on the podcast, talk a little bit about that, and, and start looking to, uh, to 2023 already. Sir, thank you guys for having me. Well, as you went through last season, um, you know, it, it, it was a year that saw Wake Forest be able to return to the postseason. How much did that mean to you and to the team to, to be able to you know, get the group back into regionals for the first time in a few years? Yeah, it was definitely a good stepping stone for this this program. Um, a lot of or none of the guys that were on that team have actually played in a regional up until that point. So it was good, um, and it's it's better to build on for this year. So now now we've been there. Now we can go and win it, or hopefully host this year and and uh, win the thing. For you personally, it was obviously a big season, as as Teddy mentioned. What was the big difference for you between your freshman season and last season when you you made such a big jump? Yeah, um, freshman year, I obviously as a freshman, very inexperienced. But I think the biggest step from freshman year to sophomore year was just I, I've been there, I've done it, I've pitched in, like I made like twelve conference starts, so I knew what to expect. I wasn't just thrown in the fire. Obviously, I my stuff picked up a little bit. I threw a little bit harder, et cetera. But I think the biggest difference was I've been there, I've done it, and I wasn't afraid of what happened. You said you weren't kind of thrown in the fire last year, but you kind of were as a freshman. Just what was that like? Uh, obviously, it was a very strange year all around in college baseball, but uh, to have so many ACC games, to, to be a part of the, the rotation as early as you were, what, what was that experience like as a freshman? Yeah, it was definitely a good thing looking back on it, um, but it was it was tough last year. It was, it was up and down. We had a few injuries that put me in the rotation when I wasn't expecting to be. Um, so I think me just getting beat up in some of those games was very beneficial for me, but in the time it was tough. It, I didn't understand. Like, I just felt like I wasn't helping the team win as much as I, I could have, but looking back on that's probably one of the better things for me. This past summer you spent uh, time with collegiate team USA, not just here domestically, but also took the trip over to the Netherlands uh, to play in uh, honk ball week, as they call it over there. Uh, what were the highlights of that trip to the Netherlands uh, that you took with the uh, collegiate national team? Oh, it was a blast um, going over there with those guys. I, I made some of the best friends I'll ever have, and I got to take one of my best friends from Wake with me. Teddy came with me, so it was it was a good time, just hanging out with the guys and also seeing different styles of the game. We got to see various styles of play, and it was really fun to play against the best of all over the world. How much of an adjustment is that? You know, we talk about different styles, and and you know, everyone plays baseball a little bit differently. Everyone approaches, you know, hitters or, or has a different kind of swing. I, just how much of an adjustment did you have to make to your game, or uh, what what was that like? Yeah, it was definitely interesting. So I threw the first game against Japan, then we got there, so we had no idea how, what to expect really because there wasn't. We didn't really watch film going into it. We just knew we were going to play our game and that should have been good enough to win. But when I got out there, you, you can kind of tell, like, the approaches are different. I feel like a lot of those guys use wood year-round. I don't know if they um, use metal as much as we, we do here in the States. So they're a little bit more adjusted to it. They know where to miss we and know where not to miss. So it seems like they were a little bit more mature about their approach in the style of, like, not trying to lift home runs and stuff like that. That's just what I noticed from – my game against Japan. And then there was obviously some other teams that had a blend of both, but it, it didn't take too much adjusting. It was just kind of interesting to watch. Obviously, before you went overseas, you, you had a series of scrimmages in, in North Carolina, both in, in Cary and Durham and then over in Charlotte. Um, so you, you're facing off against other college players. Is there somebody you face just kind of in those scrimmages that you thought like, goodness gracious, I hope I never have to face this guy again. Like, I hope we don't end up playing them in, in Omaha or something down the road. Yeah, um, Maui Ahuna got me kind of pretty good in um, in Durham, and Wyatt Langford was always a tough at bat. I think I think those two were probably the two. Wyatt Langford was I had to face him a couple times. I faced him, and we had a one inning stint like practice inner squad before we had our first game, and I had to face him. And it was he was a tough at bat, so I would say one of those two guys. 
everyone's good, but one of those two guys definitely. Those those two are definitely two of the better ones, no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah. As you now return to uh, you know to classes and, and to fall ball and everything, just where where do you feel like the group mindset of the Deeks is going into this fall and, and ultimately into twenty twenty three? Yeah, so we obviously want to build on last year what we built last year, but like on paper and we it, we look good because we didn't lose that many guys, but we don't play the game on paper, so. Um, you know, we just want to continue doing going day in and day out, just completing whatever we have to do to get better. And, you know, if that, whatever that means right now for an individual is giving it our all, you know, just getting ready for the season. You alluded earlier to, you know, a good friend of yours, Teddy McGraw, who was on the collegiate national team with you. Obviously, now we'll share a spot in the rotation with you back at Wake. You add to that group, Josh Hartle. Obviously, people kind of know what what he's all about. I mean, there's just a lot of talent in that rotation. What's the, the group dynamic? on the on the pitching staff generally but also among those guys who are going to be leaders in the rotation going into next season yeah josh and teddy two of my good friends like i hang out with teddy almost every single day outside of the field also um so like it's just we're close we always we know we're going to be in the rotation together for two years now and it's it's fun to be pitching alongside some of your best friends definitely but also I think going into this season with those guys, we had the same rotation last year and they kind of, they had times where they went through similar things that I went through my freshman year last year. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting and, and fun to watch what we all do with some experience under our belt this year. The, um, the pitching lab that you guys all have the advantage to, uh, or, or the opportunity to take advantage of down there. What, um, I mean, in what ways do you feel like that's been beneficial to you? And, and, and in what ways do you, do you enjoy using all of the, the analytics and, and all of the technology that you guys have uh, access to? Yeah, I actually love it. So, um, but there's definitely a fine line during the season. I'm, I'm pretty hands off on all the analytics and everything. I throw on my bullpens outside, stay out of the, the lab for all that just because I feel like there's not much I can do between a week to week basis to fix something that drastic. But when off season, like when I come, when I'm coming to be throwing my bullpens here soon, I'll, I'll live in the lab. I love it. And there's a lot of stuff we can capture through motion capture and find some inefficiencies and ball flight data, a lot of stuff that et cetera, that is very interesting. And I think helps a ton. Did you have much experience with that before you got to wake or, or did you learn a lot of that in college? I had no experience at all. I, I just, when I got here, I knew it was very interesting and I just dove in and learned everything I could and still learning now. Did it kind of feel like you had been pitching? I don't want to say wrong, but just like you felt like you had been blind your entire life and now suddenly you could see, like, is that kind of what you would compare it to in terms of getting all the data you had once you got to college? Yeah, kind of the way I, I saw it was it kind of just backed up what I thought I'd been doing for the whole time. So it kind of just like fact checked me. I was like, oh, this is why you have been doing what you've been doing. I knew I could do certain things. And then it, it, the data just showed me, showed me why. And then it also showed me that I was doing a lot of things wrong my freshman year. So it was good, good to see that early. The, you mentioned the games aren't played on paper, uh, but obviously going into the season with so much returning talent with, you know, guys like you and Brock Wilkin and uh, having so much buzz around them. Uh, there's going to be some hype on this team going into, into the season. How do you guys go about managing that uh, both this fall and, and into the spring? Yeah, there's definitely some hype for this team. Um, we definitely have the talent too, but it's, we just kind of have to stick to it day to day, not worry about the hype because, you know, that doesn't do much for us. We have to get in there and do the same thing every day complete our process and then see where that takes us. So switching topics a little bit, you, um, people might not know this, but you are an artist. Um, you know, you've, you've enjoyed painting and sketching and things, things of that nature. Now that you have the demands of being a student athlete and a very successful one at that, I mean, do you still have time for your art? Do you find yourself kind of wanting to have more time for your art? Kind of where are you as, as far as being able to, to, to do art with the demands of, of being a, a baseball player and an athlete at Wake? Yeah, it's definitely time is hard to come by nowadays, but there's there are sometimes I can I can dabble out. I've recently got an, like an iPad so I can do digital art that I just started. That makes it a little bit easier. No cleanup. But I, I've been a little bit 
away from the art game for a little bit of time, but I still do it here and there. Definitely not as much as I wish I could. Do you, when people find out that you are an artist and that you can draw and paint and all this, do they like ask you to do things for them and you have to like nicely tell them like, no, I don't really, because <laughs> I feel like when people find out that you can do something like that, suddenly it feels like they think you're open for business for just kind of like doing all these little side projects. Exactly. Yeah. That happens way too often. <laughs> You, um, you've been growing your hair out for quite a long time at this point. Are you, are you still committed to, to the long hair game and how much, how much effort are you putting into to hair maintenance? Yeah, I still have it long. It's still long for now, but, um, yeah, you know, I don't put that much care into it. Honestly, it's not, it's kind of just natural curls and everything. I let it take care of itself. I obviously keep, keep it up and keep it clean. But other than that, it's like. I don't know. I don't know. How, we'll see how long it continues. <laughs> when um, Rob Friedman compared you and Mike Clevenger on, on Pitching Ninja, what, what what was your thought then? And and how much of that did you feel like was hair related? And how much of that did you feel like was was stuff or, or baseball related? I've gotten some Clevenger comps for a while up until that, that point. So it was kind of cool just to see like it getting broadcasted over to social media. So that was pretty funny. But um I think it was a little bit of both. I, I know the hair was a big part of it, but I don't know how much he was strictly on the stuff. I know he overlaid two pitches that were that were identical, but I think it was more having to do with the hair and the, the mechanics. So we will we'll wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests at the end of uh, at the end of our episodes. And if I'd have been thinking, I would have gone back to see coach Walter's answer. Cause we had coach Walter on about a year ago and, and I forget what he gave the answer here, but we ask all of our guests to describe their favorite sandwich here at the end. And so I will filibuster for a second. So you can kind of give that some thought if you need to, but we ask for their favorite sandwich and some people give us a sandwich they make at home um, that they like. Some people give us a sandwich that they grew up eating, like that their mom made. Some people give us a sandwich they like from a from a local place, some place they pick up food from all the time. So you can take that in any direction that you would like, but please, Rhett Louder, describe to us your favorite sandwich. Gotcha. So actually my like pregame meal is always Jersey Mike's. I go to Jersey Mike's for every game. So it's actually a giant, it's the giant sized Philly cheesesteak there. And the giant is like 16 inches and I can never eat it all, but I continue to get the giant every single time I go. You'd, you'd rather be overprepared than underprepared, right? When it comes to the sandwich. Right. Size. Do you, do they offer you like the Mike's way on the Philly, like with the, the, the oil and stuff? I, yeah, I don't get it. I just always do the mobile order. Just fill out my order. Yeah. yeah. The way it's come and then go pick it up and come out. I like my, I get the, um, like this, the turkey provolone. I like the Mike's way, but sometimes it's too wet. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on the fence about it, to be honest with you, but that's a, that, that's a good call. A Philly, if you know, if you can handle that kind of, that kind of sandwich before you go out there on the field, then, uh, then more power to you. That sounds like a good order. Yeah, definitely. Let's get this man some NIL money. No kidding. <laughs> Jersey Mike's where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> well, Rhett, we, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, it's been a lot of fun watching you the first two years of your college career, and I'm sure this, uh, this spring will be a, a great time to watch some awake baseball as well. So uh, we'll be looking forward to, to seeing you back out there on the mound. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Thank you again to Rhett Louder for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast and our Clubhouse Conversation Series uh, Joe, let's, uh, let's get to the point here. And, uh, I don't know who, you know, Jersey Mike's not a sponsor, but could be, and also could be a sponsor of Rhett Louder. No doubt. And you know, that's, it's, a, it's a, I feel like that's a, that's a natural match, not just because he, he eats there, but Jersey Mike strikes me as the kind of place they're, they're pretty aggressive. Like, but they're, I see their commercials all the time and they sponsor a lot of individual stuff. Like it's, it's a name I see out there. So like, there is definitely there's definitely something out there for that, for sure. I, I, uh, I've not had the, well, first of all, I've not had the, the, whatever phrase they use, like the, the supersized 16 inch sub or whatever. I've also never had the Philly from Jersey Mike's, but generally speaking, I will give Jersey Mike's my endorsement. I just, uh, I, we, we, I should say I've never had the giant sub either. I have had the Philly. Um, 
I mean, I can't like endorse the Philly over other offerings from Jersey Mike's because I usually don't get it. But uh, a giant Philly sub before you go out and compete in an athletic endeavor. Uh, I don't know that that just feels very impressive to me. I'm always I'm always impressed by that kind of thing. Like I I, I saw a video of the Cardinals pitcher Miles uh, Michaelis the other day. They were asking um he got asked what his pregame go to pregame meal is, and he said like a cheeseburger and fries. And I'm like, I, I just don't, <laughs> I don't think I could do it, man. Now I'm not an elite athlete. So that, uh, there's, you know, there's probably a level of, you know, what they're burning in their bodies is, is a lot more efficient than the way my body burns stuff. There's no doubt about that. Also pregame could just be several hours before, like, you know, who knows, but I, the idea of running out there and trying to get on the mound after like either a giant Philly sub or a cheeseburger and fries just does not sound like a pleasant experience, but, but more power to them if their bodies can handle it. Indeed. Um, in terms of the actual on field stuff here, uh, that rotation fronted by Rhett Louder, I mean, it could have, you know, Rhett Louder had an incredible season is a, is a really high level prospect uh, deserves all the accolades that he got. Teddy McGraw, though, like slightly overshadowed. But if you talk to scouts, Teddy McGraw is someone that often gets brought up as like, you know, he's really good too. And Josh Hartle was like rated as like borderline first round prospect type coming out of high school. Um, you know, he's a 24, not a 23 in terms of draft eligibility. But I mean, it's plausible the Wake Forest is running out three first round arms uh this spring and i mean that that's a big part of the reason why they can be as good as we think they can be obviously louder has done it at the highest level already but those other two guys like he said you know they that was kind of their first time pitching in the acc and like he saw the growth from year one to year two so if you get some of that growth maybe not to the extent that he saw it but but even some of that growth from year one to year two from a and hardle i mean it, it becomes very fearsome for, for wake forest yeah there's i mean there's no doubt about that it's just on paper um you know it could be one of the best rotations in the country and you know there, there are a lot of positivity about that group in general i teddy mcgraw when i was working on collegiate national team prospect rankings was a guy whose name came up as like the stuff is good like it's not that anybody was necessarily talking negatively about his stuff but it was just like he doesn't have the best stuff on the staff but he's you know maybe the best guy in terms of makeup in terms of like you know uh work you know just the, the work ethic piece like having um you know um the mental side of the game like all that kind of intangible stuff like was just like uh, the feedback on that was super positive with him um and they said it you know kind of allows him to pitch above what his stuff maybe suggests on this team anyway. Cause remember the collegiate national team is like the guys who have the best stuff of the best stuff. So on that team, like he didn't have the best stuff, but everything else like allowed him to pitch above that level. And, you know, Josh Hartle is the one where you're kind of looking at and, and wondering what that next step is and seeing him last fall as a freshman, like you're immediately kind of impressed by for lack of better way of putting it. Like you just, you look at him and you can tell he knows what he's doing like kind of the way he uses his secondary pitches and all that kind of stuff. And the key for him will just be, uh, you know, much like louder from year one to year two, like the key for him will kind of be, can he control games a little bit better? Can he miss bats more often because his stuff is still coming along and, you know, louder made that big jump, you know, jumped, you know, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, up to 10 miles an hour in velocity, just year over year. Does Josh Hartle make a similar kind of jump like that? Um, you know, can he, again, can he miss more bats? Can he control games? Can he dominate a little more? And if he can, like, oh my goodness, like this rotation goes from us talking about like, this could be one of the best in college baseball to like very clearly is one of the best in college baseball. I mean, you look at historic, like the Wake Forest pitching evolution has been very interesting to watch because, you know, they play in a stadium that is hitter friendly. But over time, part of that's the the pitching lab. Part of that, I think, is just them being you know very deliberately trying to improve the the pitching staff. You look at the guys that get drafted out of uh, out of Wake Forest. It's not like pitchers at the top of the list, and uh, they've produced several first rounders on the mound. And it's just 
it's just been an interesting evolution. And now you look at the team for next year and, and the lineup is, is quite good. And we'll get to that in a minute, but you know, I'm not talking about it being the best lineup in the country. Uh, it, it just is a little bit of a, it, it's a bit of a surprise and it's a bit of a flip from like where they were with a Will Craig led team, for instance. And um, you know, it, it, it's just interesting to have watched that evolution of the demon Deacons program. Yeah. And you, and you just, you kind of have to know the game, right? I mean, you look at the stat sheet and, Actually, conveniently, you know, Louder, McGraw, and Hartle all gave up nine home runs last year, which in Louder's case, he threw basically 100 innings. And it's like, okay, that's not egregious. But, you know, Hartle threw less than 70. And so nine home runs, you're like, okay, well, he's, but, you know, that that's the, the, the team gave up 71 home runs. And that was a pretty decent pitching staff, right? So you just have to kind of understand that, like, that's, that that's the deal there is you're, you're going to, people are going to run into balls. People are actually and more, I guess, more accurately said is that occasionally people are going to get a ball up in a jet stream and it's going to go over the 300 foot fence, right? You know, like there's some pop flies that get out of that ballpark. So that's just part of the deal. And, and you're right. Like, I think it would be really easy for this program and this coaching staff to lean into, okay, we're just going to have to be an offensive team and you could have a lot of success that way. Um, but They've kind of gone the other way, which don't get me wrong. They still do have really good offensive players. We'll talk about some here shortly, but the pitching is where a lot of that talent has been. And they really invest in the pitching lab. We talked about that with Rhett Lauder, and that's famously one of the most advanced pitching labs, perhaps the most advanced pitching lab in college baseball to the point where people come from all around <laughs> to take advantage of the Wake Forest pitching lab and, and be involved in it and, and learn from it. And so they've, they've really leaned hard into an area that, like I said, it, it would have been easy for them to this coaching staff to kind of go, okay, well, clearly we're never going to pitch. Um, let's not focus on that. Let's be, you know, let's be, let's have a power-based team. Let's be athletic defensively. So we don't let anything drop in. Like, let's just say, Hey, home runs aren't going to beat us. Um, let's pitch to that. Let's play defense to that. And they haven't done that. They've, <laughs> they've recruited and developed guys who become real dudes on the mound. And before some of those guys maybe didn't put up numbers, but they had good. I think about Jared Schuster, who some of that was the COVID season, but you know, his numbers didn't quite match the stuff and, um, but he got drafted, got drafted high. And so there was some of that happening at wake where it was kind of like, okay, yes, it's an offensive environment, but even if you adjust for that, it seems like these guys should have better numbers and perhaps, and now there've been some, some coaching staff changes and perhaps that's part of it, but with Corey Mascara, now the pitching coach, but perhaps now we are moving into a period of time, you know, as we look at what Rhett Lauder did last year, where, the numbers that these wake pitchers put up are going to maybe start to more closely match what their talent level is. And that is what makes them really, really scary moving forward. Uh, all right. So if that's, if that's the way the rotation sets up, um, they also bring back Camden Manichi, who was their closer a year ago. Um, they get Crawford Wade back as well in that bullpen. Uh, they do lose Gabe Golub, who tied with Manichi for the most appearances on the team but so your rotation's coming back two out of your three best relievers are coming back uh that, that's how the pitching staff sets up uh let's look at the lineup here uh they bring in Bennett Lee who we can kind of pencil in as uh as catcher as Brandon Tinsman moves on so Bennett Lee your catcher Nick Kurtz returns at first base Brock Wilkin returns at third base the middle infield is a little jumbled right now. I, I, there will be some competition there. Danny Corona is back, and he was your starting second baseman a year ago. I think that he'll probably be competing with freshman Merrick Houston and Justin Johnson, who transferred from Lafayette. Those are the three guys who are probably going to play in the middle of the infield. Exactly how that competition plays out, we'll, I, I anticipate we'll find out this fall. Uh, outfield, Pierce Bennett, Adam Searcy, Tommy Hawk, all back, as is Jake Reinch uh, at DH. So basically, that's a lot of returning players. It is a little, like, if you could pick, if you're just going to return seven regulars, I don't think that the two you would pick to lose would be your shortstop and catcher. In fact, I know you wouldn't. Uh, but still, it's a it's an awful lot of returning talent. And, you know, the those are high-level players. You know, Brock Wilkin has incredible potential uh as a draft prospect and uh you know has, has hit a whole bunch of home runs there he had 23 last year and uh you know nick kurtz was a freshman all-american tommy hawk has that kind of uh production as well i mean th there's just a lot a lot of talent on the offensive side as well 
Yeah, quickly on, on the mound, one more thing before moving on to the offense. Like the the emergence of Camden Manasi as their closer last year was huge because they went into the year probably thinking that that was Eric Adler's job. And Eric Adler, you know, just it just didn't work out for him last year. Now he got drafted and he, he's moved on to pro baseball. So like all is well, hopefully that ends well there for him. And he continues on with the career that people thought he could have. But there was a lot of buzz about him going into last year and it just, you know, ERA close to nine and more walks than innings pitch, like all of it. So not an easy year for him. So Manasi kind of comes in and, and fills that role really, really well. And so I think that was a key piece of the puzzle that kind of got overlooked last year for, for wake. So offensively, I think there's a couple things here. One is like Brock Wilkin is not a fully formed player yet. I think, I mean, the, the power is what it is. Like there were, again, going back to my collegiate national team, stuff like there were obviously that the power tool is, is what stands out there. And there are some evaluators that think it's the best power bat in the draft. Um, certainly on the college side that there's potential for that, but you know, he hit 272 last year. The strikeout rate is still a little high. Um, that, and that's setting aside the defensive part just offensively. So if, if he's someone who is a little, you know, puts together like a little better at bat when he's not hitting the ball out of the ballpark, if he can still continue to produce for power, but also, just show a little more hit tool and, and feel to hit and, and do that. I mean, that makes him, that's going to make him even more dangerous there. And, and I think Danny Corona is an obvious, you mentioned his name, an obvious breakout candidate here. I had a fine year last year, especially when you, in the context of him being a freshman, but it's a guy who just highly touted recruit coming into last year, certainly looks the part physically, like the tools are there. So that, that strikes me as a guy who, um, looks primed for kind of that that next jump in in a, in a lineup that frankly doesn't need anyone. That's the beauty of it is they don't they don't really need anyone to make a huge jump to be really really good. And if they do get jumps from from different players, like all of a sudden this this does become a group that's particularly dangerous. And so uh, look, we you know my, the big picture thought here is that we've talked about this before on on other episodes of the podcast this off season that like on talent just on talent. Like this isn't then Omaha team. And there's a lot of stuff built into like being a little bit wary of, of betting on Wake Forest fair or not. Um, certainly not fair to this group because it wasn't, the, but like there have been Wake Forest teams that came in with a lot of um, expectation and, and excitement and that just kind of flamed out for whatever reason in, in previous years. And so that's kind of what that this program is working against is kind of that perception. And again, that's not fair to this group of players, but it is something in the minds, I think of folks like you and I, who are trying to evaluate this team. But again, on talent, there's really nothing here that strikes me that would be keeping this team from being an Omaha level, a team. That's how talented this group is. I, um, it's not even so much that I worry about like the, the, the fact that, you've seen some Wake Forest teams in, in recent years that have, haven't hit the highs, you know, coming off of 17, I think there was an expectation that like Wake Forest would, you know, keep climbing up and up and they hit a speed bump and that's fine. That, that happens to programs. I'm more concerned that like, you know, as Rhett said, nobody had NCAA tournament experience before last year. And, you know, they went one and two in the college park regional and, you know, that's fine. Like, as we now know, like UConn was not a good three seed uh, to be matched up with. And uh, Maryland was a really, really good team in its own. So like, it, it was a difficult draw for Wake Forest, but they, uh, they, they wind up not having a, a, you know, a long stay in the NCAA tournament. And now you're asking them to go out and get to Omaha. It, it's a lot um for for a team that just doesn't have a whole lot of tournament experience still uh won't have experienced a super regional environment now all that said like all the talents there like experience only helps you so much they have at, at some point it's about the guys and wake forest should have the guys so i think it's a fascinating team to look at it's a team that if you look at our early top 25 if you look at wherever we put them in the preseason top 25 like final preseason top 25 i'm sure a lot of people are going to be looking at them like really like this team uh th there's going to be some skepticism and like i get it you know most of the time the teams you see in the top 10 are teams that have been there and done that and are consistently doing it but this is this is a group that has a chance to be really special and 
I am going to be fascinated to see how they go about managing those expectations, how they go about, uh, you know, just competing at a time when they're going to be facing more of a target on their backs than uh, than they've been used to so far in their careers. I think it's a, just a, a big picture thought here quickly as my last thought too, is I think, I think that would be wake being that kind of good challenging to get to Omaha. I think ultimately a good thing for a good thing for the ACC to kind of get, no have, doubt. have a, have a team like that. That's not, you know, yes, they, they got one step shy of Omaha in 17. They've been good before. This is not a complete neophyte to the top level of college baseball, but it's a team that we don't really associate with getting to those types of stages. And so I think it's just really, really good for the conference if Wake could be the kind of team that, that we think they can be. Yeah, I, I would I would absolutely say that that's true. I mean, the, the deeper the ACC can get, the better it is for them. And look, Wake Forest has been plenty good already, but it, it would be different if they were a team that was uh, you know fighting in the in the top 10 all season long. That that's gonna make everyone look at them differently and, and obviously impact RPI in different ways and, and, and all the rest of that. I, it would be a big deal for the ACC for sure. And I think it would be good for college baseball to see a, a team like that doing it. Um, you know, yes, they're a power conference school, but it's also a school that hasn't been to Omaha since their national title in the fifties, uh, you know, to, to see that, that, that sort of thing is possible at Wake Forest. And maybe that's what we have to reduce our Cinderella hopes to, anymore is hope that that these power conference schools that haven't haven't done it in a long time can um can pull through all right that's going to do it for us today on uh on this edition of the baseball america college podcast and our clubhouse conversation series uh again if you're not subscribed you can subscribe on your favorite podcasting app apple podcast stitcher spotify wherever you get your podcasts you can find us and hit the subscribe or follow button can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And all of the work can be found over at baseballamerica.com as uh, things really get rolling here into September and, and into the fall. We'll have plenty more. Uh, I'm wrapping up the 2022 recruiting rankings now that everyone's on campus. Joe is wrapping up transfer class rankings. We'll have starting to look at, at fall ball as, as that gets underway around the country. So uh, a good time to uh, to check it out if you are so inclined. We will be back with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast next week. Uh, and so hopefully you guys join us then. Uh, for Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.